Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. The 21st of March is the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. And while I don't believe that the United Nations has any commitment to ending racism, it's a worthwhile opportunity to look at anti-racist organising, particularly in the lead-up to the Palm Sunday rallies across Australia, where activists will again take to the streets in defence of refugees. I'll provide those details at the end of the show. We've featured on today's program two young activists who organise around anti-racism. One in relation to anti-fascism and against the mobilisations of the far right, and the other in support and defence of refugees. Heba Saleh is a young Lebanese woman, a socialist and a refugee advocate. She's worked on refugee issues both in Australia and in Lebanon. We'll speak to her later in the show. But first up, Naui Jimenez, a young Mexican woman and socialist, organising against the rise of the far right here in Australia. I started off by asking Naui what politicised her and what moved her to become an activist. I guess what um, politicised me at the beginning um, was around the students that, um, I guess, went missing in Mexico, the um, 43 missing um, students that were, um, well, turns out they were actually killed by the Mexican state. Um, So I went to um, some of the demonstrations, the rallies in Mexico City um, around 2014. And how long have you been in Australia? Um, It's two years now. My mum's actually um, Australian, so she, um, she moved to Mexico 26 years ago. Um, and I guess I, I wanted to study, um, I wanted to study and there's actual, like, education support, um, over here compared to Mexico, so, yeah. Your, uh, quiet little country of Mexico is under some pressure right now with the election of President Trump. Are you, uh, are you keeping a close eye on what's happening there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, the question of Trump, you have to, um, I guess, connect to Mexico because um, at the moment there's actually a lot of nationalism that um, the Mexican government, um, specifically Peña Nieto, who's the president, is trying to bring. Um, even though, like, I compare him to Donald Trump, like, he's, you know, this entitled um, rich man that um, got into power. Um, the same way um, Trump did. Um, so, yeah, I think there's lots of connections, specifically also because Mexico has been um, a massive target um, in Donald Trump's campaign, you know, calling um, Mexicans rapists and um, things like that. Um, but, yeah, people have been outraged and have actually had massive um, rallies, um, especially when he got sworn in. There was about... Um, I think it was 20,000 people that came out um, in Mexico City alone to protest um, Trump. So, uh, I mean, keeping on this theme of far right-wing mobilisations and actions and a resistance to it, um, you're particularly involved in anti-racism activism here in Australia and actually anti-fascist organising as well. You're a member of the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism. What took you to that particular area of work? 
Yeah, well, um, I think it's, yeah, it's been this um, really global movement, but I remember um, the first time I heard um, that the Reclaim Australia group back then um, was having a rally in Melbourne um, in Fed Square and that they were able to hold like a rally of a thousand people. I thought that was, you know, incredibly outrageous. Um, And it kind of just, makes you wonder like um you know i guess where all of these ideas come from and i think it was you know really crucial to oppose um you know these bigoted islamophobic views because they were being emboldened by um you know the australian government um through the herald sun so i thought that they had a massive um platform and that if it just went um unopposed um, it was, there was a real potential for these people um, in organizing and actually growing. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it was outrageous. Well, in your view, what will it actually take to stop them and to reverse this trend? Yeah, that's a really great question because I think, like, we can't see it um, in isolation um, just in Australia. I think it's important to look that it's, it's a global trend, like UKIP in um, the United Kingdom, um, you know, Marine Le Pen in France, Donald Trump um, in the US. And I think it, it kind of is really pointing to the fact that um, people are really pissed off um, with the way society's been run. Um, people are angry that, you know, they work three jobs in the US and can't even make ends meet. And I think, um, you know, that. We keep being told um, by governments that um, it's, you know, immigrants or it's, um, you know, Muslims that are doing all of this when in reality, um, you know, it's the system and the people at the top that can actually provide the solution. So, like, I think that it's going to require, you know, a very big mobilization um, by the left, but also in integrating um, ordinary people and actually, you know, having um, conversations about these things and you know making arguments as to i guess you know where all of this is coming from and why is it such a useful tool for um really governments to facilitate things like you know their military spending here in australia you know they talk about oh there's going to be terrorist attacks here in australia so we need to be prepared so therefore we need to spend 74 billion dollars on you know fighter jets and submarines when you know we could be doing way better things um with that money so if you had a, a final rallying cry for people to get behind this, what would you say? Um, I would say that it's crucial for people to get involved now because if we leave um, these ideologies um, uncontested, they just grow. And, you know, if history serves us as an example, um, they continue to grow and it's, it's crucial um, to stand up against this as you know, ordinary people as people that have no interest in actually um, following these leads because they don't serve um, ordinary people. We don't benefit at all from having these kinds of ideologies. Like, it only serves um, the 1%. And if you're actually, you know, pissed off about um, the system not providing um, for you, you should actually, you know, take up the questions of the real inequalities in society and actually take up the question of being an anti-Catholic and fighting um, the system as a whole. That was activist Naui Jimenez. 
Now he's a socialist, an anti-racist campaigner and an activist in the campaign against racism and fascism. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. My next guest is Heba Saleh, a Lebanese activist and socialist, organising in support and defence of refugees. I started off by asking Heba to introduce herself and to tell me a bit about her background. My name is Heba Salah. Uh, I'm Lebanese by ethnicity. I've, um, I used to live in Australia when I was a kid, and then I moved overseas for 15 years and came back. Um, I have been working with refugees for three years now. Um, in multiple ways, like in detention centers and um, in the community, so the um, refugees released in the community. I've also worked with a lot of refugees in Lebanon. Um, that was for two years. Um, pretty much seen their struggle here and overseas and what they have to go through in third world countries. And, um, and of course, in our detention centers here. Yeah. Um, so it's always been a passion of mine to talk about refugees, advocate for refugees. How is it that you became interested in refugee issues and became an activist in that space? So four years ago, I passed by a um, refugee camp in Lebanon, and it took me by surprise as to how horrific their conditions were, um, especially, especially being refugees in a third world country. And many of these people were trying to um, leave Lebanon because their situation is quite bad. They're dying from hunger, dying from the cold weather, etc. And ever since, I just thought it's absolutely a obligation to me as a human being to do the bare minimum of like helping them and advocating for them. And it's not something that I like people praising me about because I feel like it should be the bare minimum for all of us. Um, yeah, let alone those of us who see, you know, saw the the torture with our own eyes. Um, and obviously, like, being an Arab myself, I've always been involved in politics, and it's very important to us because we're always affected by it, um, and especially the, refu- the refugee situation. I see them dealing with racism overseas and racism here. So, it's, yeah, and then, um, and it's quite bad here too, so Australia quite literally violates a lot of human rights um, every single year. So... I thought not only is it good for me to, you know, help them out in Lebanon, but also advocate for them here. And, um, yeah, it's just been a passion of mine for, for the last few years. Yep. Where are the refugees from that are in the detention centres or in the refugee camps in Lebanon? Uh, they are Syrians, mostly, yeah. 99% of them are Syrians. Um, there are Palestinians here and there, but mostly Syrian refugees. Um, obviously, it's one of the biggest humanitarian crises, like crises in the world. Um these people have, like, a lot of them have to leave to the closest country, and Lebanon is already suffering from a lot of political um, problems, and thereby their conditions in Lebanon are quite, like, as bad as their condition in Syria. And a lot of them do regret going because it's just horrific conditions. Um, there's been a lot of, um, there's high suicide rates, there's, there's high um, starvation rates, and, um, yeah, et cetera. So... What is Lebanon as a as a nation? What is the political response to Syrian refugees? Um, when it comes to the common people, um, people are welcoming of them. However, there are people that are supportive of the Syrian, Syrian government and thereby accuse the Syrian refugees of being illegit- illegitimate refugees when they, you know, when that's not true, obviously. So there is a sectarian side to it. 
Um, but in fact, you know, when it comes to the, you know, religious, um, when it comes to the religion of the refugees, it's quite diverse, actually. There's the majority Muslims, and there's Christians, and there's Dozis and Eloise, and a lot more than that. So, it, um, unfortunately, it is a sectarian problem, but, um, yeah, but the common folk are nice to them. It's just that the government and the United Nations are not helping them enough. In fact, the United Nations is not doing enough because a lot of people that don't didn't run away with their IDs um, cannot receive aid. So they are actually not allowed to receive aid, and that's a problem in itself, yeah. Hence why these people actually travel to other countries like Europe and Australia. And there was a, a recent election in Lebanon as well in yeah. in October last year, and Michel Ayoun was il- elected. What do you yeah. have an opinion about this? Um, obviously, like it's it's you know in the simplest way possible. These are one of the most corrupt human beings on earth. Um, it's um, yeah, like they have done nothing to support the refugees, um, and they are placing them in horrific camps. In the middle of like you know cold cold climates, um, and and sometimes even blocking or stealing away the um, the aid that's coming from NGOs and other organizations around the world. So um, it's definitely every single thing that happens in Lebanon that's happened in the past year has affected the refugees very badly. Yeah, I'm sad to say there's no I have not seen any progress in in, in everyone anyone supporting them. Yeah, in in relation to Lebanon. You know, so broader than the refugee um, movement, there there is a, a labour movement of sorts. We've certainly, I've certainly been um, tracking or following the um, garbage collectors um, yeah. strike uh, mm-hmm. and some other forms of industrial action. Yeah, but does yeah. the labour movement come in on refugee issues in Lebanon at all? As in, do they support them? Yeah, or 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 support them? Not support them? Do they have a position? Do they say anything? I think a lot of them, unfortunately, um, don't necessarily empathize with them. But how a lot of Lebanese people think of it is that they are already suffering from a lot of political issues and poverty. um, And then obviously the garbage issues, the pollution, the diseases that are coming out of this. So they are blaming the influx of Syrian refugees on for worsening the situation, which is quite unfortunate because it's not true. It's just that because of the sectarian problem, you find that people tend to agree with their political parties, and most of the political parties are against the refugees. So people sort of blindly follow, as they do here and, 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 and many other countries in the world, yeah. Well, looking more closely to the situation in Australia, another part of the world where you are active around the refugee crisis, I think this is yeah. a worldwide crisis, we can call it. Uh, yeah. What do your activities entail and involve here in Australia? So here in Australia, um, mostly I've just been you know, helping with collecting donations for refugees that are newly released from detention centres. So before their Centrelink, you know, before they're allowed to receive any um, support from the government, they do face a lot of issues. Like, I've visited families that have had nothing, like, they've been provided by, you know, with housing, but have no money for rent, have no money for food sometimes. I've had um, a case where there was um, five single men that moved into a tiny house and had no money for rent, and they were about to be homeless. So there's a lot of refugees that are newly released and don't have much until, a few, until they're established for a few months, and a lot of them don't have the right to work. So, um, I, yeah, mostly, like, I tend to fundraise within the Muslim community 
and the you know a broader community in a sense and um, just collect money to buy them furniture to buy them food um, and sometimes help them with rent yeah and and there's you know people are generous it's, it's just that they need like that little push sort of thing um, and luckily like the you know the Muslim community is quite generous it's just that yeah I've just um, yeah been you know sort of advertising about it sending messages to people and just trying to get the word out about the current situation and on the other hand um, I this is less often but I still do it I do visit some refugees in um, detention centers and just um, yeah follow their legal cases just sometimes I provide interpreting so when they um, when they speak to any any personnel like uh, activists or anything like that and they if they don't speak English I do help with interpreting for Arab refugees yeah I feel like the refugee movement is almost an intractable movement and sometimes I wonder, and I'm certainly not saying we should not work directly on refugee issues because absolutely we should, but we know that war and uh, global racism is what gives the refugee crisis and really the anti-war movement is ultimately what is going to uh, impact the refugee crisis most directly but as a a refugee activist yourself I can't help but put to you the question how is it that we are going to end this torture of people in these detention centers what is the way forward for activists um to be honest it's a lot of it is increasing the awareness I mean previously there there has been um protests that have have stopped the deportation of refugees or postponed them so it just it's just that in the wider community people don't empathize with these asylum seekers. They a lot of them view them as just immigrants when it's not the case. A lot of these people did not want to migrate, did not want to leave their countries, but were forced to, especially in scenarios where either they're minorities or their countries are war torn like Syria. So I feel like as a starter we need to raise a lot of awareness because even people from my own community don't know, let alone the broader community, if you get what I mean. I mean, I mean especially the one in Broad Meadows, um, like it's right next to us, and people have no idea what goes on inside the psychological torture that these people endure, let alone in the offshore processing and, and you know, the amount of suicide cases, the amount of just rape allegations in itself. It's just horrific. I mean, considering, you know, in Lebanon, I wouldn't be surprised because it's such a, it's a corrupt country to begin with. But in Australia, you have a system that's supposed to protect... Um, you know, the rights of human beings. So it's just quite disappointing that people here don't realize that, you know, fueled by racism and Islamophobia, these people are, you know, are suffering because of our lack of awareness. Yeah. And what do you do in relation to building awareness? How is that? How do we ensure that we're not just preaching to the converted, given that, you know, this conversation, for instance, is still just going to people that are sympathetic to these ideas. Exactly, yeah. That's so true. It, it Often it really seems like, you, you know, you're preaching to the choir sort of thing. But um, I can't help but still think that, you know, when individuals do talk to their families or do talk to their communities or if they're part of any, you know, any, any affiliation just um, spreading the word and it helps like I've I've changed people's opinions about this and it was hard it's not easy like when you argue with someone that's anti-immigration and anti it's very hard to change their mind but with persistence and using logical arguments um, and using that humanistic side people do listen and uh, you know 
it's um it's it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough road to getting to the point where people where a lot of people are aware but we'll get there slowly slowly when we just you know approach the human side because these human these people are human beings just like us and the the wider community needs to remember that it's just luck that it wasn't us in their in their position and we could have easily been them and we would have if we were in their place we would have wanted someone to help us if you get what i mean um so yeah, um, I reckon it starts on the individual level, and then if people attend fundraisers, protests, or even just you know actually helping out with distributing food or just visiting these detention centers and visiting the asylum seekers and providing them with moral support, that goes such a long way. I, you know, you called me. I mean, sorry, you interviewed me in the right in the perfect time because there is a refugee in Broad Meadows detention center that's about to get deported, and we're actually advocating for him to stay because. Once he lands in the country that he's going to be deported to, he has no he has no passport, and he is going to be, um, for the lack of a better word, detained and tortured. So you know it's as simple as advocating for him to stay, and we are going to protest in the morning when they want to put, put him on the plane. And I really hope people understand the magnitude of, of the situation because this person is going to get killed once he goes back home. What country is this person from? And are, are you able to say their details and? Anything yes. like that? Yes. Yeah, so, um, his name is concealed, but um, the name we've given him is Said. He um, he has been in Australia for a while. Um, he was in um, in, uh, in Nauru, I'm pretty sure, and then he came to Broad Meadows, and he's been here for a few years. He's been um, on a hunger strike for 16 days, and then they forced fed him in the hospital. Um, he is so he he always he's very suicidal, and he always tells me that he'd rather die here than go back home. So he is a, from a minority religious group back home, and um, because he illegally left the country, um, they they will give him a 10-year prison sentence when he, once he returns. And obviously, given the corruption of that place, they will torture him in prison too. So it's um, it's sad to say that the Australian government has had no sympathy towards him, and he has been actually psychologically abused by um, immigration officers. He has told me the stuff they have told him, and it's just horrific that any human being is spoken to in that way. Um, they have tried to force him to sign papers that he didn't want to sign. They've tried to force feed him. They've tried to um, do a lot of things. And it's just, um, it's, and because he doesn't speak English properly, he's been taken advantage of. And he's an old man. He's 60 years old. Um, and the worst part is his, he has family members that came with him on the same boat, on the same hour, on the same day, and they were released and they were granted visas. Yet he was denied for no reason. He was not they, they couldn't prove that he's any security risk, nothing like that. And yet, um, you know, no one yeah, no one has empathized with him and no one um, has really given attention to his case. Yeah. And now he's being deported, unfortunately. Yeah. So actually it sounds like you believe in an, an additional strategy in relation to defending refugees, and that is a strategy around anti-deportation. Can you tell me what you think about that? Well... We need to send the message to these politicians, to these magistrates, to everyone that's, you know, to, to the Department of Immigration that they cannot keep violating the UN Conventions of Human Rights and expect to get away with it. And the thing is, if we are silent, they will get away with it. But once people create noise, it, it's happened before. Protests have worked before. People have been um, kept for longer in Australia because of these protests. So I think the very least you know, us common folk can do is show up and be there and give, give time and dedication and, you know, raise awareness. If we have thousands of people, they will clearly respond to that because it's, you know, we're creating 
sound. We're telling them that they can't get away with these um, violations of human rights. So it's very important that on an individual level, we do raise this awareness. We do try to at least, you know, and, and a lot of people don't believe in that anyone will listen to us. But trust me, once we grow in numbers, people do listen and politicians have to listen. Magistrates have to listen. That was Hiba Saleh and before her, Naui Jimenez. There are anti-deportation actions all the time across the country. Connect with your local Refugee Action Collective for more details. There's a Refugee Action Collective in every state. There'll also be Palm Sunday rallies on the 9th of April right across Australia, so check out local details for those, again, through your state Refugee Action Collective. In Melbourne, if you're interested in the campaign against racism and fascism, go to their Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash campaign ARF. The Melbourne group can connect you with anti-fascist organisers in other states. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. That's the digit three, not spelt out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. Oh, how can you rest? We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Until the killing of black men, black mothers, sons, is as important as the killing of white men, white mothers, sons. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom Shine on me. I need to be one in the number that we stand against tyranny. Well, now we believe in we believe in freedom. Don't you rest? We believe in freedom. We You know that struggling myself don't mean a whole lot. I come to realize.